Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we're talking about two changes that Pope Francis made to Vatican law. One removes a special right that bishops and cardinals had in the Vatican's legal system, and another limits the gifts that Vatican officials can receive. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good morning from the gray skies of Rome, Colleen, with hot and humid here about to rain. It's the exact same here. I think that come the springtime, we have the exact same weather, Jerry. Investigative journalist Jason Berry first broke the story of Father Maciel in 1997 and has tracked what he says is a decades-long trail of cash and gifts to top Vatican officials from Maciel. Baltimore Archbishop William Laurie says he made a mistake not disclosing $7,500 in gifts from Bishop Michael Bransfield, who headed the West Virginia Diocese, in a report investigating Bransfield's sexual and financial misconduct. All right, Jerry, let's get into our news from the Vatican this week. This week, we're going to talk about two big changes that Pope Francis made to Vatican law. One of them was aimed at reducing corruption, and the other removed a certain legal privilege from bishops and cardinals. So we'll start with the anti-corruption one. Uh, This one is aimed at cleaning up Vatican finances. So under this change in the law, Vatican officials will have to affirm every two years that they haven't been convicted or aren't currently being tried for corruption or money laundering or any other financial mismanagement. And I think the bigger part of this is that it limits the gifts that they can receive to a value of 40 euros or about $50, which is a pretty small amount. You know, I I think that we should give some context here on the gift-giving culture in the Vatican. I know there have been some high-profile cases uh, where people have been able to exercise influence with the gifts they've given, uh, sometimes to to cover up, you know, some pretty serious misdeeds. I was wondering if you could talk to me about a couple of prominent cases. We can mention some cases. I mean, the famous one was the Father Maciel, the founder of the Legionaries of Christ, who brought, mm-hmm. nobody quite knows how much money he bought, brought to the Vatican and then gave to John Paul II. And a lot of it ended up in Poland. Cardinal McCarrick also ran a similar railroad. It seems like it's less than coincidental that these two cases, Maciel and McCarrick, where you had, you know, really high profile people who they also happen to be the big fundraisers. And so I'm curious, can you say that McCarrick and uh, Maciel were in some way paying people, giving gifts to encourage people to turn a blind eye to their abuse? I, I don't think you can interpret the intentions of the people in that way. Well, what we do see is there's a coincidence that these people who managed to 
bring a lot of money. And they're not the only two. They're the two that are known. But, I mean, there are associations which bring a lot of money to the Vatican, have in the past brought a lot of money to the Vatican. And that opened a lot of doors, and they were able to influence nominations, nominations for people to be, be perhaps candidates for episcopacy. But you, you've got to be very careful because we, we can think of situations where people who have been in high positions in the Vatican, when they become a bishop or a cardinal, and certain organizations give a big banquet with a lot of funding behind it for them, when, when they go return to their position, they, they remember this. I mean, we are human. And uh, the, this this is the reality. And what is the Pope trying to do? He, in these decrees, he's not pointing a finger at anybody. But what he is doing is he's working with a memory of many situations that he knows about and where he wishes to close the doors for the future. So, yeah, I think that you're drawing an important distinction here where it, it's not some kind of explicit, like, I'm bribing you to give me what I want, or even I'm paying you to, you know, hush up about rumors about me or whatever. It's it's more like you were saying on this human level where people will remember the gifts that they're given and, you know, that that may influence people in ways that are difficult to quantify. I think that another area where this comes out a lot, where it's maybe surprising, it was surprising to me to learn about this, was the role that money plays and gifts can play in advancing the causes of saints, the canonization causes of saints. You know, I, I remember years back talking to Cardinal Arinze, the Nigerian cardinal who was head of Congregation for Divine Worship. He had managed to get his mentor, who was a Cistercian monk, a very famous, very holy, recognized man, he'd managed to get him beatified. And then he told me, he said, you know, this is the only case of beatification in 14 countries of West Africa. And I said to him, but Cardinal, how is this? Is it that you don't have any saints down that part of the world? He said, you know, to get saints, you need experts to facilitate, to prepare the documentation, and you need money to pay for these and facilitate. I have some personal experience with this because I work on the canonization cause for Dorothy Day with Archdiocese of New York. And, you know, I can't give a lot of the information about it, but I know that the budget is is huge for having to pay people in Rome just to just to meet with people in the Congregation for Saints causes and kind of hold their feet to the fire and say, hey, make sure that you're still paying attention to my cause. And that's, I mean, you have to pay somebody to do that. It's kind of sad, right, to see, you know, you want to be a poor church for the poor, and surely there's holiness in, in every place in the world. And yet, like you said, the ones that are best funded are often the ones that go through. But I, I want to ask you, you know, I think there is an important distinction here between, like, the honest money and maybe the dishonest money in when it comes to saints' causes. You know, you do have to pay all these people whose actual jobs it is, but um, what's, the, what's the role of gift-giving? in saints' causes. Has that been a problem? I think you've got to be very careful, Colleen, because this culture, is it diffuse? I don't think so. I mean, I was talking to a senior official last night, and he said, I've been here more than 10 years. I've never accepted any, and nobody has come to me either with it. You've got people coming from very different cultures, some of whom are very, very strict on any kind of gift-giving, Others which feel it as part of the culture. What Francis is trying to create is to create a culture where there is total honesty. You are not allowing yourself to be bribed or influenced in any way by money 
are gift equivalent. He's creating a legal framework to prevent any mismanagement or to actual corruption. So Jerry, let's lay down some of the details on this. Who exactly is this new law affecting? First of all, it's aimed at the senior officials in the Vatican. Mm -hmm. Those who have management over money, those who have oversight, also judicial oversight. It's also across Vatican entities, right? Yes. Vatican entities could be nunciatures, it could be institutions, it could be universities. It could, Vatican entities are many things. It doesn't mean that they're in the Vatican. Mm-hmm. So it would be these people. The second level that's the, the gift uh, is for all Vatican employees. Okay, so the restrictions on receiving gifts over $50 are for all Vatican employees, and then it's only those top officials who have to attest every two years that they've never been convicted by any court and aren't currently being tried or investigated for a bunch of financial misdeeds. And we should say those include corruption, fraud, terrorism, money laundering, exploitation of minors, or tax evasion. And they have to testify that they don't have any money in countries or companies that are on this list of high risk of money laundering or companies whose policies are against Catholic social teaching. Our listeners might think that these sound familiar because we've heard a lot of these rules before, right? Last year, Pope Francis put a lot of these same exact restrictions on Vatican contractors. It's just that now those are expanded to Vatican officials as well. And we should say this puts the Vatican in line with a lot of other governments who have similar rules on what gifts you can receive, right? So, for example, uh, members of the Italian parliament can only receive gifts up to 150 euros in value. For U.S. federal employees, it's actually lower. It's $20. But the Vatican hasn't had these kind of limits in the past. And since most curia cardinals aren't paid all that much, it's only like $30,000 a year, but with access to, you know, rent subsidized or partly subsidized Vatican apartments, um, I'm wondering if this is going to represent a big change in lifestyle for them. Well, that's a question everybody here is asking. (laughs) Because it's not infrequent that people come in from outside and invite out a Vatican official for a meal or dinner. And sometimes the restaurants are good restaurants, so you're over the 40 euro limit. But I I, I think a certain amount of common sense also has to be prevail with the existence of the law. I I think the markers have been put down. This is what I would say. And so people have to be very sensitive and understand that, you know, you come to work in the Vatican, there are no perks. I mean, you do. There kind of are, though, right? You get apartments. Yes, apartment is is part of the job, but it's, it's, it's at a certain level, yes. Right. I think, you know, there's also maybe a sense uh, of of caution around this because we've seen it go wrong. You know, earlier we've talked about uh, Maciel and about uh, about McCarrick. Um, also, just a few years ago, there was the American Bishop Bransfield who gave $35,000 in gifts to influential bishops and cardinals and to the priests that he was accused of sexually harassing. And so he was explicitly using this to, to cover things up. And I don't know, would, would you say, do you think that cases like that have, have maybe made some people in the Vatican more cautious? Colleen, uh, I'd say two things. First of all, it's not just clerics who give money. And it's not just bishops and cardinals who give money. Secondly, the Bransfield case and the, the McCarrick case and the Massiel case, they have made people, I would say, sensitive, very sensitive to g- getting gifts. What the Vatican's legislation, the Pope is putting in place, is to ensure transparency, that there is none of this 
behind-the-curtains operations for undisclosed purposes. What Francis is trying to do is to hand on to his successor a structure, a legal structure, a system, a culture, where the next conclave, when the cardinals come to discuss what are the issues in the church, they won't have to devote so much time as they did in the last conclave to the scandals that are coming from the financial operations in the Vatican. Cardinals will no longer be tried by a special tribunal. Now they will go through the same process as any other person accused of crimes in Vatican City State. Bechu was the Secretariat of State's number two. During his time there, the office invested in a luxury building in London's Chelsea neighborhood. Controversially, a huge chunk of the Secretariat's asset portfolio comes from... The second decree that Pope Francis signed last week is also aimed at closing a loophole. It says that bishops and cardinals who are tried in the Vatican will now be tried in the same court as everyone else. For a lot of the Church's history, only the Pope could judge cardinals and bishops. Pope Francis changed that in 2019 when he put in place a special court called the Court of Cassation, which is basically a fancy word for appeal, and that court would just hear bishops and cardinals' trials. Now Pope Francis is allowing the regular Vatican Tribunal, which is run by lay people, to hear their trials. Each of these cases technically still has to be approved by the Pope to be heard by the Vatican Tribunal, but Jerry suspects that they're going to approve all of them. So, Jerry, you mentioned that this document was signed on the Pope's initiative. That's what motu proprio means in Latin. Why make this change right now? Well, you know, Colleen, if you look back over these years since he's been Pope, one thing will stand out. Francis has removed immunity. For example, he told Cardinal Pell, you go back and defend yourself in Australia. He told Cardinal Barbarin in France, you go and stand before the court. He, He told The nuncio in Paris, yes, you have to go and stand before the court. And, I mean, can we contextualize this? That's a a change, right? Yes, it's removing the immunity that cardinals had. If we go back uh, really to the time when Archbishop Marcinkus from the United States was running the Vatican finances, he had legal immunity when the the states, the Italian state, wanted to, to... bring him to court. He had immunity. When was that? It was in the 1970s, I think, the beginning of the 80s. So they enjoyed immunity as princes of the church, and Francis doesn't like this word, and it's kind of one of those going into the dustbin. He's saying, no, no, in the church, we have to be all equal in front of the law. There are no privileges. I remember when we came, were coming back, I think, from the Holy Land, and Francis said, you know, there are going to be no daddy's boys in this pontificate. And he was referring to an expression from Argentina, which where you know there was a kind of a protected class. With this legislation that he did last Friday, Francis has removed the concept of a protected class. Nobody is above the law. Jerry, one interesting thing here is that uh, this change is effective immediately, right? So it'll affect any trials that are that are coming up. And I think a big one that we have on the horizon is the Vatican's London finance scandal. Do you think that has anything to do with why he made the change now? Well, everybody in Rome interprets in this sense. As we speak, the law is already in force. So if, if uh, archbishops or cardinals who've been well-named all over the place uh, are 
will be charged, and I understand this could happen this month, then they will no longer have the privilege of being protected species before the law. All right. So this is a, a really major change in uh, in the Vatican's legal structure. And as we've talked about, it's it's really aiming at shifting the culture of the Vatican, right? Away from this clerical mentality, this mentality of having lots of privileges and towards, you know, a, a more poor church, which is exactly what Pope Francis has been, been trying to actualize. So if our listeners want to read more about this story, you can find Jerry's full report linked in the show notes and at americamagazine.org. And we'll be talking soon uh, about any details that unfold in the Vatican's London real estate scandal. We'll definitely have our eye on that. Jerry, thanks so much for talking to me today and explaining this story. I appreciate it. Thank you, Colleen. And I think what we will see in the coming months, I suspect, is the application of these laws. And before we go, here are some other stories that we've had our eyes on this week. First off, a bishop-elect in South Sudan was shot in the knee in his home last week in a surprise attack that's being viewed as a warning sign to the church in South Sudan to stay out of politics. Three priests were among the 12 arrested in connection with the attack, and it's still being investigated. The bishop, who is now home from the hospital, has said, The wounds in my leg will heal, but I'm worried about whether the community can heal. The church has been instrumental in peacemaking efforts in South Sudan, and two years ago, Pope Francis invited South Sudanese leaders to the Vatican for a retreat. This was when he stooped down and kissed their feet and begged them to make peace. Pope Francis has been following the situation in South Sudan really closely, and he hopes to visit the country someday. Next up, one thing we've been hearing a lot about in the U.S. is that the bishops continue to clash over the question of giving communion to politicians who support abortion rights, especially President Joe Biden and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, both of whom are Catholics. Now, Biden's bishop in Washington said that he won't ban the president from the sacraments, while the new bishop of President Biden's home diocese in Delaware has declined to comment. So what's the verdict? The question is left up to local bishops right now, but the U.S. bishops are planning on voting on a blanket national rule at their June meeting. As for the Vatican, it's unlikely to weigh in, but if they do, it wouldn't happen until after that vote in June. Last up, Pope Francis has announced a few prayer initiatives for the month of May in which Catholics generally honor Mary. The Pope has asked the world's Catholics to pray a rosary every day this month for an end to the COVID pandemic and a Hail Mary every day this month for the unrest in Myanmar, where 750 people have been killed since the military coup on February 1st. You can find more on all of these stories at americamagazine.org and as always, linked in the show notes. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance from Robert Balasser at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Kevin Christopher Robles. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also leave us your comments and questions at inside the Vatican at americamedia.org. And if you want to support our show, the best way to do that is by subscribing to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time.
Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.